In the internal decoration, if not in the external architecture of the residences, the English are supreme. The Italians have but little sentiment beyond marbles and colors. In France, Meliora probat deteriora sequentur. The people are too much a race of gadabouts to maintain those household properties of which, indeed, they have a delicate appreciation, or at least the elements of a proper sense. The Chinese and most of the Eastern races have a warm but inappropriate fancy. The Scotch are poor decorists. The Dutch have perhaps an indeterminate idea that a curtain is not a cabbage. In Spain, they are all curtains, a nation of hangmen. The Russians do not furnish. The Hottentots and Kickapoos are very well in their way. The Yankees alone are preposterous. How this happens, it is not difficult to see. We have no aristocracy of blood, and having therefore as a natural, and indeed as an inevitable thing, fashioned for ourselves an aristocracy of dollars, the display of wealth has here to take the place and perform the office of the heraldic display in monarchical countries. By a transition readily understood, and which might have been as readily foreseen, we have been brought to merge in simple show our notions of taste itself. To speak less abstractly, in England, for example, no mere parade of costly appurtenances would be so likely as with us to create an impression of the beautiful in respect to the appurtenances themselves, or of taste as regards the proprietor. This for the reason first that wealth is not, in England, the loftiest object of ambition as constituting a nobility, and secondly, that there the true nobility of blood, confining itself within the strict limits of legitimate taste, rather avoids than affects that mere costliness in which a parvenu rivalry may at any time be successfully attempted. The people will imitate the nobles, and the result is a thorough diffusion of the proper feeling. But in America, the coins current being the sole arms of the aristocracy, their display may be said, in general, to be the sole means of the aristocratic distinction, and the populace, looking always upward for models, are insensibly led to confound the two entirely separate ideas of magnificence and beauty. In short, the cost of an article of furniture has at length come to be, with us, nearly the sole test of its merit in a decorative point of view, and this test, once established, has led the way to many analogous errors, readily traceable to the one primitive folly. There could be nothing more directly offensive to the eye of an artist than the interior of what is termed in the United States, that is to say, in Appalachia, a well-furnished apartment. Its most usual defect is a want of keeping. We speak of the keeping of a room as we would of the keeping of a picture, for both the picture and the room are amenable to those undeviating principles which regulate all varieties of art, and very nearly the same laws by which we decide on the higher merits of a painting suffice for decision on the adjustment of a chamber. A want of keeping is observable sometimes in the character of the several pieces of furniture, but generally in their colors or modes of adaptation to use very often the eye is offended by their inartistic arrangement. 
Straight lines are too prevalent, too uninterruptedly continued, or clumsily interrupted at right angles. If curved lines occur, they are repeated into unpleasant uniformity. By undue precision, the appearance of many a fine apartment is utterly spoiled. Curtains are rarely well-disposed or well-chosen in respect to other decorations. With formal furniture, curtains are out of place, and an extensive volume of drapery of any kind is under any circumstance irreconcilable with good taste, the proper quantum, as well as the proper adjustment, depending upon the character of the general effect.